Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Really excited to be um, here tonight and to be have the privilege of sharing. And I want to share that uh, the, the thought or the title of my message tonight is Prepare the Way. Prepare the Way. You know, in high school, um, when I was walking home from school one day, I walked past someone getting beating, beaten up. And I was so nervous and so scared that I actually just kept walking. I kind of walked around them and didn't do anything to help them. And I remember I got home that afternoon and I was so ashamed and so upset with myself that I vowed to myself that I would never do that again. And that if someone needed help or if something needed rescuing, that I would rescue it. Fast forward many years... Um, I'm not going to say how many years, but many years, and I've swung the other way on the pendulum, and I rescue things. Too many things, my husband would say. We've rescued three cats from leapfrogs. Last, uh, a couple of months ago, Pastor Lauren and Pastor Luke and I were walking up the car park next door in church, and we've seen some kittens, and they're like, oh, cute kittens. I'm like, we need to rescue them. So I've gotten the trap from leapfrogs, and we've rescued three kittens, taking them out of the car park for you, Pastor Jared. You're welcome. Um, But sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I've rescued people that I thought needed rescuing from being bullied when actually they were just mucking around, and I've made a fool of myself. One day I was driving up Joondalup Drive towards church and I'm driving and on the side of the road next to me I've seen this guy riding his bike, like his push pedal bike, and um, this magpie is swooping at him and I'm thinking, what do I do, what do I do? I'll swerve, I'll swerve. And then I was like, hang on a second, if I swerve I'm going to take him out of, I'm going to take him off his bike. Don't swerve. Then I'm like, I'll beat the horn, I'll beat the horn. And I'm like, no, I'm going to scare him and he'll go over. So I'm thinking all these, I'm trying to think through all these things of what I could do to help and I realise actually I just need to keep driving and my help at that time wouldn't be helpful. Um, last week we were, um, we were setting up for playgroup and um, playgroup is ran next door and we're out in the little um, area and I had ducked next door to get something else. And while Chase, my three-year-old, and Vicky and a couple of other mums were out there helping, they've spotted this tiny little mouse hopping around the playground. And um, Vicky said to Chase, oh, if your mum was here, she'd, she'd catch that. And I came back and she told me, I was like, there's no way I'd catch that. Like, there's no way. Anyway, then I'm realising this little mouse is going to get trodden on by the toddlers or it's going to get baited here. So I'm like, and I found myself just reaching out. I I actually questioned whether or not I should share this because I thought people are going to think I'm very mad. Maybe I am. But I found myself like catch, like putting my hand on this mouse and I was like, Oh my gosh, it's in my, it's in my hand, it's in my hand. So I'm screaming, get me a container, get me a container. And I ran it up to Lisa Michelle because I knew she would understand. So Lisa and Michelle ran to the kitchen. We're upstairs in the, in the kitchen next door. And she's like putting together this little house. She's putting some tissues in there. She's putting, um, she's putting a little cup for it to hide in. Everyone else is going, you guys are mad. And I'm starting, she's opening it up and I'm trying to put it in there. And I'm like, Lisa, do you think we should do this somewhere else? Because if this runs, it's going to be loose in the kitchen. And she's like, nah, she'll be fine. Anyway, so we put it in there and I like closed it up and I put it into um, my little office for the day. And my thought process was, I'll take it home. I'll try and tame it up. 
If it works, great, kids can have a new pet mouse. If it doesn't, we release it into a bush where there's no toddlers and there's no um, baiting. Anyway, Graham was here helping for the day and he's like, whatever you do, don't name it. And I was like, his name's Roger. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you're done, it's your new pet. Anyway, I took it home. Ross graciously let me bring it home into the house. We um, bought a little cage for it just from Salvo, set it up, put it in there. Beautiful. It was great. Um, I've got a little, actually, photo. Look. This was Roger. He was literally like two centimetres big. He was tiny. He, he was tiny. He was. The next morning, I couldn't find him. I was gently looking through all of the cage. I was moving things slowly, and I couldn't find him. Anyway, I was like, flip. Like, I've had a little nervous giggle because I'm like, I've brought this wild mouse into my house and now it's escaped in my house. Ross is going to kill me. So I'm like having a little moment and then I've gone back and I'm pretty sure that it had escaped out of the thing. So I was moving things around in the cage a bit more like, like freely and then it's just shot out of nowhere, squeezed through the edge of the cage and like kamikaze off my bench onto the ground. And it's run a little bit and then I've picked it up and I've like, patted it a little bit, put it back into the cage. And sadly, Roger lived not very much longer. He died a very slow, slow death. <laughs> I had the best intention. Lucy and I were literally devastated, weren't we? We were so sad. Lucy didn't go to sleep until 11.30 that night. She was crying. But I had the best in Oh, can I get some water, please? Can I just have my bottle? Thanks. I feel like it's coming a bit dry. Thanks. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Um, I had the best intentions, but while I was trying to help Roger, I ended up killing him. And I think so many times I've done this with people. You know, I've had the best, in not killed them. I've never killed a person. <laughs> I've never killed a person. He's not going to let me up here. Um, I've had the best intentions to rescue them. Thank you so much. Bring them closer to God. But instead, I've done more harm than good. And I've pushed them further away from Jesus. And if you've been following Jesus for any, any longer than two minutes, you realize that actually you've been saved for a purpose. We've been saved um, to, to, to help him help people. The Great Commission says, go into all the nations, make disciples, bring people to Jesus. God is on a rescue mission for his children. And like any mission, you have to know your place. You have to know your part to play. And what's contributed to the things not going well for me in the past is that I've played the wrong part. You know, in God's rescue mission for his kids, you've got to know that you are not responsible to do the rescuing. You are not responsible to be the saviour. Only Jesus can save. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else other than Jesus. God has given no other name under heaven, under heaven by which we must be saved. Only Jesus can save. When we put the responsibility to save people on ourselves, we usually end up doing more harm than good. We push too hard. We put too much pressure on. And even though you're not responsible to save people, you're also not on the sidelines. You're not meant to be on the sidelines either. You're in the game. You're in the mission field, yeah? You're not here to cheer the rest of us on. You're not here to watch it from afar and say, yeah, well done, keep going. God has a role for every one of us to play in the field. You know, but I know for me, there have been times when I've allowed fear, failure, intimidation, disappointment, offence, opposing opinions, tiredness take me off the field. 
And I've left my team, I've left the, king, the kingdom handicapped because I've sat down. I want to encourage you tonight, if you have left the field, step back onto the field. Please do not sit down. You haven't been saved to sit on the sideline. You've not been saved to cheer other people on. You are saved. Um, you, know, you haven't been saved to be complacent or comfortable or safe. You've been saved to be dangerous in the mission field. So whatever reason took you out, I want to encourage you to surrender it to Jesus and get back in the field. Hmm. But what is our part to play? You know, I've been reading about John the Baptist and um, there's so much that we could pull out of him um, that he's taught me so much, but I'm just going to, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. You know, he was unique in so many ways. He dressed unique. He ate unique. His message was unique. His message was repent and turn from your old ways and surrender to Jesus. He was obedient to God. He had no authority. He had no place of power in the political system, yet he spoke with authority and conviction and so people couldn't help but listen to, the, to him. You know, people responded by the hundreds, but he didn't make it about him. He directed them to Jesus. And I believe there's some great truth that we can um, get from his life about what we, what our part is in the mission, in God's rescue mission. So let's just read Isaiah 40, verse 40. I promised my dad that I would speak with my T's tonight because he heard my last message when I was talking about my grammar. And I promised him that I would say 40, not 40. Isaiah 40, verse 3 to 5. And this is in the scripture. That's the, last, the first and last time I think it's going to happen. In the scripture, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the coming of John the Baptist over 500 years before John the Baptist was even born. So Isaiah said, listen, it's the voice of something shouting, someone even shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curbs and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together that the Lord, the Lord has spoken. You know, in those times um, when Eastern princesses, princes um, marched through the desert, ways were prepared for them, yeah? Things, hindrances were moved out of the way. Isaiah was telling the people of Israel that the prophet John the Baptist will be coming and that he will prepare the way for Jesus to come and rescue his people. And then let's fast forward. We're going to go to Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 11 to 17. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you will name him John. John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or any other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit since even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Listen to that. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And will, he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of, God, of the godly. And then Zechariah goes home from the temple. His wife gets pregnant. And then when the baby is born, we read in verse 68, of Luke 1. Then his father, father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. 
He said, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty saviour, meaning Jesus, um, from the royal line of his servant David, just uh, just as he promised, through the holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from, from our enemies and from all who hate us. Let's jump down to verse 76. And he says, you, my little, my little son, so he's talking about his son, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of, the de- of death and to guide us to this path, path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. So Zechariah was prophesying that John would tell people how to find salvation through repentance and that he will prepare them to receive Jesus who's going to give him peace. You know, in, jo- in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Look, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. And you know, it's in this friendship with Jesus that we find salvation. You know, God may be knocking on, the, on people's hearts, but people's uh, path to him is so crooked and so rough and so steep. They may not be able to hear him or see him for who he really is. You know, some people have been so hurt, so rejected, disappointed, unfairly judged, unfairly treated, often by the people that they're meant to trust. And so they've built walls around their hearts and walls around their minds and they've based their lives on the opinion that I don't need anyone else, I can't rely on anyone else, I'm doing this life myself, which is actually pride, but it all comes from a place of hurt and being let down. Other people have experienced heartache. Yeah, they've cried out to God for help, but they haven't had the answer that they've so desperately, or the outcome they've so desperately wanted. And in their limited human understanding, they've placed blame on God and built mountains between them and him to try and stop him from coming close to them again. Others have been given misinformation about who Jesus really is and believe that Jesus is a religion and have hardened their hearts to him, intentionally putting roadblocks between them and him because they don't want to come anywhere close to religion because they've seen the heartache and the destruction that's been done in this world due to all in the name of religion. There are other people in our lives that seem so confident. You know, they seem just, you know, they just don't seem to need God because they just seem like they've got it all together. You know, so that we're too intimidated to even suggest that they need him. But the truth is, they just can't see the dangers. They can't see their need for Jesus. Huh. We need to help them see. You know, we've got a chicken at home. Her name is Sweetie. There's going to photo. There might be a photo. This is Sweetie, right? And she, my husband is a very gracious husband. She seems like the most chilled out chicken, right? She seems like, like the dog can run at her. He is a great man. The dog can run it, uh, run past her. The kids can run at her. The kids can pick her up. And she just seems to be so cruisy, so confident that she doesn't seem phased by any of it. But then I realized that actually it's not that she's so confident and she's so, you know, whatever, cruisy. It's actually that she can't see. She can't see any of the stuff going on around her. And when we've held up her tuft of feathers so she can see, she's like, 
like she freaks out. You know, there are people in our life and in our world that seem like they're all together and seem so confident. But the truth is, like sweetie, they just can't see. We need to help them see their need for Jesus. She's pretty cute though. We need to prepare the way for people around us to see Jesus and receive him. But the pathway we need to straighten is not physical. It's actually in people's hearts and in their minds. Like John, we need to clear the road, fill the valleys, level out the mountains, straighten the curves, smooth out the rough, the rough places so that people can see God's salvation. How do we do this? As with most things, it starts with us. It starts with our lives. How we live our lives and what comes out of our lives determines if we're straightening the path for people around us or making them crooked. You know, there's so much we can learn from John's life, but I'm just going to like, just going to, do you want me to say that again? What did I say? <laughs> How we live our lives and what comes out of our lives determines if we are straightening paths for the people around us or making them more crooked. So I want to encourage you, read about John yourself. There's so much in him, but I'm just going to touch on a, a few key things. Firstly, like John, we need to know Jesus. We need to know the Holy Spirit. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Mary came who was pregnant. Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And um, Mary comes to visit, visit Elizabeth. And in verse 41 of Luke 1, it says, And it happened that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb. Uh, so John leaped in Elizabeth's womb and Elizabeth was filled. There's a lot of S's in here for my lisp. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, John, it later says that the babe leaped for joy when he saw Jesus or when he heard Jesus, Jesus' mum. Even when, when John was still in the womb, he knew Jesus because, oh, he, <laughs> he knew Jesus. And because he knew him, he leaped for joy. He knew that he was good, merciful, kind, loving. But most of all, he knew that he was the saviour that was going to save the world. You know, when you hear the name Jesus, if you don't leap for joy then I'm putting it out there to you that potentially you just don't know him. Or, or you've become complacent with him. Luke 1.80 says, John grew up and became strong in spirit and lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. John prioritized knowing Jesus well, knowing the Holy Spirit well. He lived in the wilderness so that he could really get to know God's voice, get to know his character, you know, so he could get to know his word, not to be clouded or distracted by the political and cultural and religious leaders of the time. And because of that, he became strong in spirit. You know, our busy culture, social media, TV, being a mum, whatever else is happening, you know, that it wars against our need to be still with Jesus. It's so fast-paced, fast so loud, so demanding of our constant attention. And we have to fight for our alone time with Jesus, fight against that distraction, fight against idle busyness. John lived in the wilderness to know God. And I sometimes struggle to spend five minutes with God. But to be someone who clears the path to make it easy for people to see Jesus in us, we need to prioritize our time alone with him. We need to value and prioritize the wilderness, the space where it feels like not much is happening. Yeah? The quiet place, the time where we step away from everything happening around us and where it's just me and God, where I can hear his voice 
feel his presence, be reminded of his love and be reminded of the truth of his word. When you commit to really getting to know Jesus, you won't be able to stop Jesus from coming out of your life. And just by knowing him, knowing his love, knowing his faithful character, the peace, the confidence, purpose and strength will begin to come into your life, but then it'll begin to come out of your life and will show the truth of who Jesus is to the people around you, even without us saying much, yeah? Jesus in you has the capacity to tear down any mountain of deception, fill in any valley of fear or rejection, and straighten any crooked path of pride. You know, when you know Jesus and his love for you, his faithfulness and his power, even when the situation looks grim and everyone around you is worrying, you've got every right to worry, you don't need to broadcast your worries to the people around you. You can broadcast the peace and the hope that you have in Jesus. When you know Jesus, it means that even when you don't get the answer that you're looking for, like the puppy that I would like and that I'm hoping for, you can trust Jesus that he loves us and that his promises are true even when we don't get what we want and um, that he has the best for you and the best plan for you. You know, no matter what you walk through in your life, when you live to really know Jesus and not just settle for knowing about Jesus, you can trust that he will walk you through any challenge and that with him and in him, you will walk out the other side stronger than before. You know, Isaiah 54 verse 10 says, For the mountains may move and the hills may disappear, but even then my faithful love will remain. My covenant of blessing will... Ooh, I just went down to the bottom of my page. We're all good. Right in the middle of that scripture. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. And 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 7 says, Love is patient. This is who Jesus is. And this is the type of love that he loves every one of us with. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It doesn't keep any records of being wronged. It does not re rejoice in, about injustice, injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Jesus ne never gives up, never loses faith, is always helpful all, and endures every, through every circumstance. This is how he loves us. Secondly, our life needs to shout his grace. The name John means, dun, 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 the Lord is gracious. John's name shouted the grace of, of God, which is a huge indicator to me that like John, if we're going to clear the path for people to receive Jesus, if we're going to tear down the thinking and the opinions stopping people from coming and receiving Jesus, his grace needs to be so visible in our lives. Bless you. <laughs> Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this it is a gift from God salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so none of us can boast about it to show that God is gracious we need to know that God is gracious we need to stop trying to prove ourselves and realize that Jesus has already approved us you know when we live in God's grace this requires us to be genuine to ourselves, be genuine to God and be genuine to the people around us. It requires us to be real and allow people to see our reality, not a performance. Grace does not mean perfection. Grace means that in my imperfection, his perfection is seen. Grace means I don't have to cover up my mess because he is seen in my mess. Grace means 
Uh, and because of grace, uh, because of grace, oh, because grace means that when I messed up, he cleans up. Grace means that when I can't take another step, he reaches down and he picks me up and he carries me. And grace is the opposite to religion because religion is all about what I need to do to make myself worthy. Grace understands that there's nothing that I can do to be worthy, because Jesus, but Jesus made me worthy on the cross. I can tell when I'm stepping out of God's grace and into religion when I find myself pretending and performing. I also start criticizing my kids for all the things that they're not doing right rather than celebrating the things that they are. That's, just a, that's, a trick, that's something that I can find in myself. And if living in God's grace clears the path for, G- for people to see Jesus, then religion and performance and pretending throws a dump truck load of rocks in the path's way. Yeah? We need to know God's grace, live in his grace, and be transformed by his grace and let it be seen in our life. And this leads to the next thought. We need to be bold in speaking the truth in love. You know, John boldly told the truth. He didn't shy away from telling the truth. And the truth that he told was that we need to repent, turn around, turn away from our old life and surrender to Jesus. Luke 3 verse 3 says, Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they have repented from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. John revealed that our faith is based and rooted in repentance. And what does repentance mean? Pastor George did a great series on repentance a couple of months ago, but it pretty much means to turn around, surrender your life to him, turn away from your old life because God's got a better life. That's what it means. And to receive what Jesus has for us, we need to turn away from the world's harmful attitudes, from the dead-end attractions that it has and wholeheartedly surrender to God and follow him. You know, if we're going to clear the path, we need to be bold enough to be honest and suggest to people that God has a better life for them and that they can access that when we surrender and when we repent. You know, this is where the evidence of God's love and God's grace in our lives is so important. Because, uh, and it's so important that other people can see it. Because when it comes time to speak the truth and encourage people to repent and surrender to Jesus, they need to be able to see the fruit of it, yeah? They need to be able to see what a life surrendered to Jesus actually looks like. That when we turn from our old life and surrender to Jesus, it's the start of an incredible journey of Jesus healing us, forgiving us, restoring us, freeing us, and giving us purpose and life. You know, when God's grace is visible in our lives, it gives others the hope and the confidence that when they repent and when they turn and surrender, that it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good because God loves them and He's got a great, great plan for them. Do you know what? Can we just stand? Let me just pray. Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, that you're here now. And Lord, as we just worship you now, I just pray, straighten people's paths, God. Let them see you and experience you tonight for who you really are. Jesus, we just lift you up right now. Let's just worship. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. 
If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.